A special shout out to our listeners in Bono, South Carolina, Crawford, Tennessee, and Whitehall, Arkansas. Thank you so much for joining us today. And don't forget, if you have a question about the podcast or a question for Katie or myself, there is a form that you can fill out anonymously, or you can include your name and it's linked in the show notes. We would love to hear from you and answer your question on the podcast. All right, let's get into the show. Welcome to the Plant-Centered and Thriving Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Kitchens. I'm a plant-based registered dietitian and virtual nutrition mentor. I was raised on an Angus cattle farm, grew up with a lot of GI issues, and used the power of plant-based eating to promote healing. Here, you'll find inspiration, ideas, and encouragement for your own plant-based journey. I'm so thrilled you're here today. Let's get started. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Ashley, and I'm so thankful you're here today. I have a question for you. When I say longevity, what do you think of? What first came to mind when I said longevity? Maybe you think of living a long life. Maybe you thought of the blue zones. Maybe you think of community. Maybe you think of beans. Maybe you think of someone who maybe didn't have a long life. Maybe you think of that's something that I would like to have is a long, healthful life. Today, that is a big part of what Hannah and I are talking about is longevity and ways that you can shift some of the things that you're doing in your own life to potentially increase your lifespan and not just your lifespan, but your health span. And Hannah goes all into that. Hannah is a registered dietitian dedicated to helping people thrive by eating more plants. Her work in longevity and heart health nutrition research starting in 2012 inspired her to adopt a plant-forward lifestyle, which transformed her own health and grew into a passion for helping others do the same. She uses plant-forward and flexible nutrition to guide her clients toward finding their body's healthiest weight while improving their heart health and boosting longevity along the way. In our discussion today, we talk about longevity and things that you can do to, again, not just further your lifespan, but also create a healthy heart throughout the process. We talk about fiber and its important role in longevity. We talk about the blue zones. We talk about her research and Hannah has just such a great way of breaking things down that are easy to digest and easy to understand. No pun intended with the digest piece. And I just found this episode incredibly fascinating and incredibly needed because I think there is a lot of misinformation out there when we're talking about longevity and Hannah does such a great job of breaking it down for us and giving us the evidence based information when it comes to longevity. So before I get to our interview with Hannah, she lives in the foothills of Boulder, Colorado with her husband, two kitties and her dog, Pippi. She loves hiking, trail running, cooking, vegetable gardening, and is expecting her first baby girl in April, 2023. Please join me in welcoming Hannah to the show. Hannah, welcome to the show. 
Hey, thank you so much, Ashley. I'm so happy to be here with you. <laughs> I am so excited. I'm so like geeked. I'm getting, I guess I'm geeking out right now. I cannot wait to talk to you about all of the things, which the listener has a clue of what we're going to talk about today. So, but before we get into all of those details, would you mind telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Hannah and I am a dietitian, a plant forward dietitian, and I'm also a former nutrition researcher. And currently I'm in virtual private practice and nutrition coaching, and I'm a course creator and content creator, um, all the things. But primarily what I do is I help people adopt a more plant forward lifestyle to achieve a variety of goals, um, whether that's just eating more in alignment with their values, of course, boosting longevity, if that's something that people are interested in. I can help people find their body's best way through more of a habit change based approach as opposed to kind of tracking and like all the all those things. Um, so those are some of the things that I help people with and that I do right now. Wonderful. We love that around here. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm curious, cause I actually don't know this, Hannah, what is kind of your plant forward backstory? Like what led you into eating more plant-based? Yeah. So actually my, my backstory comes from about two different angles. So first of all, it comes from my research background and when I was an undergrad, I was involved in physiology research and it was more medical research, like physiology, neuroscience, wasn't nutrition focused per se, but it was focused on heart health and longevity. And the lab that I worked in used nutrition as the intervention to get at that, those questions. And so we were looking at like middle-aged and older adults, seeing if we could impact their longevity with nutrition. So even though it wasn't a nutrition lab, we used nutrition in our intervention. So that was one area. And I worked in research for about six years where I was kind of getting all of that information and taking it all in. It made me really fall in love with nutrition from like the science perspective, you know? Um, so that's one angle. But then the other angle is when I went to college, I was kind of dropped in college like most of us are, and I didn't know how to feed myself at all, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> you know? And so it's like, it's a whole new world. And I was struggling with some health issues that I wanted to get a hold of. So I started to like go through my own research online. And this is circa 2010 when paleo and low oh, carb yes. <laughs> and all of that was like all the rage. And I got very, very sucked into that low carb paleo dogma for the first like four or five years of when I was really trying to develop my own nutritional philosophy and trying to heal myself and figure out what made me feel well. So mm -hmm. here I am a longevity nutrition researcher. And obviously we'll talk about this more, but we know from the research that a predominantly plant-based diet is really good for longevity. So I'm hearing this on one side, but I'm also really entrenched in this other side where I have like this kind of low carb grains and beans are toxic and they're mm -hmm. going to kill you. And, you know, like all of this stuff in the other, in the other side of my head. And truly what ended up happening for me is after going down that for a while and doing some things like intermittent fasting, which was not a good fit for me. I know it's not a good fit for a lot of people. I ended up with a lot more health issues being low carb. Um, yeah. And that would include actually issues with like blood sugar balance. I have PCOS, which is like an endocrine condition that can make it really tough to balance your blood sugar. That got a really, really bad on a low carb lifestyle, wow. which I think it, people say the opposite, which they is why do. Even, exactly, which is why I started with that in the first place. But we know now, and you know, most of the experts recommend that for those sorts of conditions, a predominantly plant-based diet is still the best way to go. I didn't know that at the time. And so I was doing some damage to my blood sugar. My anxiety was out of control. 
And all of this to say is I basically hit a rock bottom point around like 2015, 2016, where I was like, this is not working for me anymore. And as scared as I am of carbs and grains and beans, I think I'm going to start to adopt what the research is saying is really beneficial for long-term health. Because what I think ended up happening with me is I, I had this, you know, cognitive dissidence of, well, I want to live a long and healthy life, but I also want to feel good now. Yeah. You know? Yes. <laughs> and for some reason I was like, those two things can't be the same. <laughs> yeah. Right. And Yeah. And then what ended up happening was like, I did, I was like, I hit a rock bottom. I had really bad anxiety. I had a panic attack that put me in the hospital and almost crippled my career. Like I was, I was at my wits end. And then wow. after that, I was like, listen, I got to try something different. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? um, and so I, I kind of went forward with more of a plant-based, plant-predominant lifestyle. And I basically started to incorporate all these whole plant foods and whole grains and beans and be more flexible with an all foods fit approach and not be so rigid, you know, yeah. and everything improved. And it was amazing. So I was like, I am never looking back. I am going to be <laughs> seeing this from the rooftops, you know, and that's yep. kind of how I came to plant forward myself. But then mm. in the background this whole time, I was also doing this research for at that point, three years. And then another three years when I was really embracing the lifestyle and that really solidified and really helped to inform exactly what I teach and, and why I teach it now. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. I did not know a lot of that. So I appreciate yeah. you sharing that. <laughs> of course. And I feel like for you listening, I feel like a lot of people can relate to one, finding your own nutritional philosophy, which I love how you worded that. I think that's a beautiful way to state it mm-hmm. and that it it does ebb and flow over time. Like I definitely went down the paleo route at one point way back yeah, when, and right? I've tried various different diets throughout my mm-hmm. lifetime. And you kind of have to arrive at, okay, what is best for me and my body? Not what is everyone else necessarily like touting as the best diet or the best way to lose weight or the best way to manage your PCOS, but Mm -hmm. what is truly going to work for me? And it sounds like you tapped into your research to kind of maybe shape that eventually with the hitting rock bottom uh, to shape what that looked like for you. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think it had been in the back of my mind, like if only I could try this, but I think that there was some fear there. You know, I think that I had been reading so much about my specific health issues, not being helped by something like that. And I wish I'd known that it really is, you know? And so now I, of course, through my own education and through my degrees and through my research experience, I was able to sort of embrace that and believe it. I'm definitely the kind of person who has to like go do my own research in this case, literally to, (laughs) you know, make sure that I'm doing what's best for me. Um, But to your point, everybody has like a different path and there is no one size fits all. And it's all going to be like a variety of sort of these things, but yeah, it's really important for everybody to be willing to change their mind and to be open to new data. You know, that's yes. that's what I would take away from it is because I feel like sometimes we get so entrenched in our own, you know, philosophies that we're afraid to shift. Yeah. And I was, I was afraid to shift because I'd already, you know, told everybody that I was this person who was low carb and I made a huge shift and people were surprised and that was okay. I was like, listen, new data has entered my mind and I am open to evidence as every good scientist should be. And so that's what I did is I changed and it really changed for the better for sure. Yeah. 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 It really sounds like that. And I think that's a great point too, that just because you grew up eating a certain way, or maybe Mm -hmm. people know that, oh, you know, so-and-so loves this or eats this Mm -hmm. way, doesn't mean that you can't change that. If you are, like you said, open to shifting or changing things up. Absolutely. I totally agree. 
Yeah. Okay. So let's dive into your expertise and your research because I really want to talk about that. Um, So I know a lot of it does, like you said, centers around longevity. So let's first talk about what does longevity even mean? Yes, this is a great question. And I love talking about longevity. I talk about a lot of different things online, but longevity is like one of my very favorite things. It's near and dear to my heart. So longevity, I mean, at its very basic, you know, definition is basically the lifespan of any animal or human. But really as researchers, and I think as most people in general, we're more interested in something called health span instead of lifespan. And I'm not sure if you've ever heard the difference between these two things before. No, let's dive into it. Yeah, let's dive into it. So in in research, we look at health span, we look at lifespan as being, okay, how long does an organism live? And, you know, whatever quality of life that may be. But with health span, what we're really interested in is how long can we live independently, disability-free, disease-free, and how long can we live doing the things we love and continuing to operate at like a pretty good mental and physical capacity? And when we get down to it, we really all want a long health span, not necessarily a long lifespan, right? Because lifespan, if you're 15 years in a nursing home, and this is the reality for a lot of people, sometimes there's nothing to be done about it. You know, we all have our genetic predispositions, et cetera. But when we have these like really intense physical or mental ailments that are really making our prolonged life not as fulfilling as it could be, that isn't what most people envision when they say, I want to live a long and healthy life. What we envision is being able to do the things we love, spend time with you know our families and continue to live relatively independently. So as researchers, that's what we focus on. And that's my definition of longevity is like, how, you know, how can we get to the point where we're living a long time and living well and doing the things that we love and that make us feel alive? So that's ah. my personal definition of longevity. And most researchers focus on that health span instead of lifespan necessarily. Okay. That's really interesting. So it's not just about living to 100, but it's about like, let's say living to 100, but having a low rate of like chronic or having very little chronic yes. diseases or ailments or mm-hmm. basically living a healthful life up until that point. Yeah. It's basically shortening the window of disease and disability relative to the overall lifespan is the way I like to think about it. And so if you live, you know, a hundred years, but 25 of those years are spent really struggling in terms of health, that's not as optimal as living 98 years, you know, Mm. and having just two of those years be a little bit less optimal, right? Yeah. I think we would almost all trade two years to live those extra 15 years really, really well and healthfully, you know, but yeah, some people are just interested in the overall number. That's totally fine. I'd say most people are interested in living that long and healthy life though. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I'm sure that's why a lot of us are plant-based because we know that that can help, which I know that's what you found as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this kind of brings up a good point. And I'm sure you hear this as a dietitian as well. It's something that I've definitely heard is do you, I guess, do you hear? Well, okay, I would rather eat what I want than maybe eat a plant based diet, even though I know that it can be potentially helpful with longevity or help me live a long life. What do you like say to yeah. that? You know, I I do hear that sometimes. I would say that more than hearing it, I see it demonstrated. Because when you ask people point blank, like, do you want to live a long and healthy life? Everybody's going to say yes. But the issue becomes that when we have a target that's that far in the future, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's tough for people to conceptualize, well, 
it's so far in the future. I have so much time to get there. And so what I think, I think happens is there's a disconnect between realizing that your actions now do impact that long-term outcome. And a lot of people don't take that very seriously. And they always think that they're going to have more time, which Mm. can be true. And I want to say that no matter what age you are, there are things you can do now to improve your longevity for the long term. Absolutely. But it does matter what we do day to day, our habits accumulate, and that's what determines our overall longevity. So I'd say that more often than not, I see people be like, oh yeah, longevity is really, really important to me. And then they, you know, are like, but maybe I'll worry about it in 10 years, you know, right. that kind of thing. Yeah. It, it, with longevity and prevention, the earlier you start, the better. And so yeah. it's, it's like, you know, that's, that's my, that's my read on it. But yeah, certainly there are some people who would, you know, quote unquote, rather live their life now and eat whatever they want. But when you really get to the core of the issue, I think everybody does want to live that long and healthy life. And I think they think it's just too burdensome to mm. engage in the habits that are going to create longevity when really, I don't think that, I don't think it is that burdensome if we can do it in like a sustainable and like healthy way. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I typically see. Yep. Absolutely. And I mean, we see people going plant-based in their seventies, eighties, nineties. I mean, some people right. say, well, I remember this one, uh, reading this one post about this woman, she might've been in her nineties and she went plant-based and she was like, I feel like I've been lied to my entire life because she didn't know that this diet, this way of eating was so mm-hmm. beneficial in so many aspects of her life and and far beyond her life, you know, the planet and animals and all that. Absolutely. Stuff. Yeah. There's so many reasons to go plant-based and, and that's another reason why it really solidified for me is it aligns so much with my values to eat plant-based in so many ways. It takes care of my long-term health. It aligns with my ethical values and my, you know, wanting to care for the environment and wanting to care for my current health. Like there's so many beneficial things for plant-based, but yeah, I totally agree. It's like, I wish that more people knew about this sooner, you know, and we're lucky ones who found out when we're, you know, in our twenties or thirties and getting the message out there. It's it's what we can do to help, I think. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes, that's what we're doing right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So I'm curious, because you did spend some time in this area of research, would you mind talking about some of your key findings from the research that you did with longevity? My team in particular, what we focused on was heart health as a means to improve longevity. Because what typically happens is it's not that people get old and they die of old age. Typically something takes you out along the way is the way I like to think about it. It's like, whether that's a chronic disease like cancer or heart disease, which is the number one killer in the world for men and women. That's why we decided to target heart disease in our laboratory. Um, Could be dementia, could be diabetes. You know, there's all of these things, but typically one of the best ways that we can improve longevity. And one of the things that researchers focus on is by reducing risk of these chronic diseases, right? Mm. And so in my laboratory and my research and my team's research focused more on how can we improve heart health and therefore improve longevity in the long term. So primarily what we focused on and what I focused on in my research was how do we keep blood vessels really flexible for a long time? Because as we age, our blood vessels get stiffer and stiffer and stiffer. And this causes problems like it increases hypertension, which is high blood pressure. It can also increase your risk of stroke, which can result in all sorts of disabilities, you know, in terms of brain function and body function, things like that. And as we age, like I said, it gets stiffer, but younger individuals have more flexible blood vessels. They're more pliable. They respond better to blood flow. So what we're trying to do is 
say, what can we do from a nutrition perspective in middle age or older, you know, years to try to make blood vessels more flexible and act more like the blood vessels of a younger person? So that's primarily, it's called, the term is called endothelial function. And so the, that's primarily like what we sort of looked at was how do we make those blood vessels pliable? And the two things that I mainly studied were turmeric, which its active oh. component is curcumin, which is a very anti-inflammatory compound. It's um, a spice that's found in a lot of Indian and South Asian cuisine. And then I also focused on a compound called sodium nitrite. And most of you are probably thinking nitrites, those are not good for you. Um, it's actually a naturally occurring compound found in a lot of vegetables. The issue with nitrites comes when they're isolated and heated with meat. Mm. But on their own, they're rich in beets, they're rich in celery, they're rich in arugula, and they're a naturally they're a natural signaling molecule that helps the blood vessels be very flexible. This is why you might have heard that beets are really good for athletic performance. Yeah. Is because they contain nitrite, which is my area of research and what I studied for four years. And those nitrites naturally occurring cause blood vessels to be more flexible, to dilate more and to enhance blood flow to all areas of the body, muscle, brain, et cetera. So all of that is to say that we were looking at basically feeding people curcumin, feeding people these like beet derivatives and just seeing, can it improve your blood vessel function and mental function? And it could. So what happens wow. is these anti-inflammatory plant compounds can actually make your blood vessels more flexible after, you know, basically administering them for a few weeks to a few months, even when you're in middle age or older age. So that was pretty cool. That is very cool. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that like what we can extrapolate from that, like, Again, this is a very specific area of research. This is how research works is like we focus on like one very, very small thing. But through my career in research, I was also exposed to a lot of the literature, observational studies from all over the world and randomized controlled trials. And everything points to a plant predominant diet being the absolute best for longevity. So there's the evidence is just overwhelming that people who eat mm. mostly plants, and I define that as basically 80 to 90% plants or more. People who eat mostly plants are going to do better from a longevity perspective. This is what's shown all over the research. And so that's basically what I took away and extrapolate from our research is that these plant compounds that are found in plant-based diets, you know, as well as an overall anti-inflammatory dietary pattern, which is a plant forward or plant-based diet can result in better heart health, which then results in longer life and healthier life over yeah. the long term. Yeah. Wow. And I'm yeah. curious too. So maybe explain for those of us who don't know when your arteries are stiffened, what's maybe, or your blood vessels, what's like the, the, the con of that or the detriment to that versus having arteries or blood vessels that are more pliable and flexible like you are when you're younger. Absolutely. So there can be a number of issues. So I had mentioned that hypertension, which is high blood pressure can increase. And think about it like a tube. Think about it like a plastic PVC pipe or something like that. That's super, super stiff. If you're trying to force liquid through that water, for example, the pressure is going to be higher than if the hose is really flexible, like a balloon or something like that. So basically stiffer blood vessels can result in higher blood pressure. That can be a problem. The other issue is that it can really impact anywhere that blood vessels go, which includes muscles and it includes the brain because blood vessels are in both. So if your blood vessels are stiff in your muscles, you're going to have problems with movement if you can't get enough blood flow and oxygen to your muscles. This is where we see with age, a decrease in motor function, as we call it in research, which is the ability to move 
naturally mm-hmm. and well. And then you also see decreases in mental function and cognitive function and potentially all the way to dementia, Alzheimer's, those sorts of things. And that's all caused by deterioration of these linings of the blood vessel called endothelial cells. And so that's the main issue is that it can impact your blood pressure. It can impact your risk for stroke because stiffer blood vessels will increase your risk for stroke. And then also it can impact your movement and your brain function over the long term. Wow. Yeah. So it makes sense why having more of those pliable young blood vessels later on in life can be really beneficial for a lot of different things that we find that are quote common, you know, when you get older, oh, high blood pressure. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, you're old. So of course you have high blood pressure. (laughs) Exactly. But you don't have to. It's so common that I feel like it's common, but that doesn't have to be normal. I feel like we, you know, like always think that just because it's common doesn't mean it's normal. Like we can actually change this. And so you're right. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's seen as just a natural part of aging to some Mm -hmm. extent it is without intervention. Most people's blood vessels will become stiffer with age, but there's a lot we can do to prevent that. And that includes things like exercise and movement and keeping, you know, use it or lose it kind of philosophy, but it also includes what you eat. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing we know, because I remember doing this, I wrote an article recently, or I was part of an article that was written about low carb diets and its effect on blood vessels. And what we find is low carb diets stiffen the blood vessels, stiffen your arteries. And so, and lead to some of these things that you're talking about. Yeah. And the mechanism, which is basically the way that that happens tends to be because it promotes an inflammatory dietary pattern. So anything that increases inflammation in the body is going to stiffen the blood vessels. Mm. Anything that decreases inflammation in the in the body, like these antioxidants I was talking about, will loosen the blood vessels. And diets that are really high in animal proteins and saturated fat are inflammatory. So when you're talking about a low-carb diet, they're not typically too concerned about the saturated fat piece you're going to get that stiffness as a result of the chronic inflammation that's promoted by that. That's another reason, you know, aside from the phytonutrients in a plant-based diet, that plant-based diets decrease inflammation is by actually being naturally lower in saturated fat. And so that's another reason that it can help. Yeah. Yeah. So is there anything, you know, you were in this research for quite a, quite some time. Was there anything that you kind of took and applied to your own life that you have found really beneficial? There's also this myth that women don't get heart disease at the same rates of men. And that's not, that's not true. They do have lower rates of heart disease until menopause and after menopause and after those hormonal changes occur, they have a higher risk of heart disease after that than men. And so it's really important for women as well to be, you know, worried about our heart health, you know, as we grow older as well. And so I'd say that what's good for the heart is good for longevity. And that's something that I take to heart big time. So, you know, practicing a plant-based lifestyle, keeping saturated fat to a relative minimum for the reasons I just mentioned in terms of like the inflammation and stuff like that, packing as many antioxidants and nutrient-dense foods into the lifestyle as possible. So when we're talking about antioxidant-rich plant foods, we're typically talking about foods that are a little bit on the bitter side. Think turmeric, think kale, you know, sort of those sorts of things. Those bitter compounds tend to be antioxidant rich and you don't have to eat them if you don't like them. There's plenty of other things that you can eat as well. Um, I like to say that the darker the fruit or vegetable, typically the more packed with antioxidants it is. So berries and even things like dark chocolate, you know, some of the tastier things that can contain those antioxidants, those are really good to incorporate and include in the lifestyle. And then the third thing, which I haven't mentioned yet is exercise. 
mm-hmm. is one of the most important things that we can do for longevity. And it's not nutrition related per se, but it's lifestyle related. And it's something that I've taken to heart, especially, you know, strength training for um, people as we get older, we naturally lose muscle mass. It's a process that called sarcopenia. And so as we lose muscle mass, as we age, really the name of the game is preservation. And so the more that you can preserve your muscle mass at that stage of life, the better. So weight training is awesome. I know Ashley, you're a weightlifter and you enjoy doing strength training and stuff (laughs) like that. Um, so that's really, really good. Um, also cardiovascular endurance is important when it comes to heart health. Mm -hmm. And so that's my preferred form of exercise. I'm actually seven months pregnant right now, but when I'm not what? pregnant, I am. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> yes. I'm pregnant. Yes. Yeah, so I've, I've got two months until this baby comes and it's crazy. But when I'm not pregnant, I'm doing triathlons. My husband and I, we oh. love to do like long course triathlons. And so we did like the half Ironman in 2021 and 2019 in Boulder, Colorado, which is where oh I'm from. Gosh, yeah. Yes. And so we love to like do all that and it's just fun. Um, oh but gosh. Yeah. So that's something that I've taken away. It's like, Hey, if you can exercise, keep those blood vessels moving, that'll help to keep them flexible. And so, you know, I do that by limiting saturated fat through a predominantly plant-based diet. And then I also do that through incorporating those antioxidants and really focusing on exercise and keeping my body moving. Yeah. And that exercise piece is something that you recommend too, like in life as well. Like there, there's no stopping point. No, no, I really don't think that there is. And, you know, we see all over the world that people who are more active in their daily lives are going to have longer and healthier lives. Yeah. Right. And so, and whether that's like formal exercise, like, you know, doing weight training or, you know, um, endurance sports, those sorts of things, that's great. Like you should definitely do that if that's something that speaks to you and that you enjoy, but also just low level activity, like moving around, changing positions, gardening, things like that, all of that can, can help too. But yes, there's no stopping point for it. The more you, the more you can stay active, like a body in motion stays in motion kind of, you know, physics theory, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So like, let's, let's keep our bodies in motion. And then the less we slow down, the, the easier it'll be to do that forever. Yeah. 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 Cause when you stop and this goes yeah. to even just with the way that you eat, it, it, there's a hurdle to get back to it. So yeah, the more you can just kind of continue the cadence of what you're doing. Uh, I think that's a, a, a great point. Yeah. I appreciate that, Hannah. Yeah. <laughs> so for those of us who are not familiar with the blue zones, which we'll link, we have a podcast that we did on them last year. Um, so we'll link that below mm-hmm. in case you're curious to learn more, but would you mind just kind of describing what the blue zones are? Yeah, absolutely. So the blue zones, they're essentially these longevity hotspots that were found across the world by research teams. And so what they were, what they were looking for were areas where there was a higher percentage than normal of people living to the age of a hundred or older. So we call those people centenarians. And so in these longevity hotspots all around the world, they identified five primary blue zones. My understanding is they're looking for a few more right now. So we'll keep you updated if there's any more that pop up. But the five that they found were Okinawa, Japan. They were Ikaria, Greece, Sardinia, Italy, Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica, and then also Loma Linda, California. And interesting places, all with traditional lifestyles. Mostly you might be wondering 
wondering why Loma Linda is in there because it's in California. <laughs> um, and actually that's the hub of the Seventh-day Adventist church. And part of their spiritual philosophy is really caring for the body well here on earth, which includes eating a predominantly plant-based diet, vegan or vegetarian. So it's interesting that there is this hot spot in the United States and it's really useful for studies because we can compare an American population that eats a certain way with an American population that doesn't eat that way without yeah. a lot of those other variables. And so from a research perspective, that's like a very exciting prospect. And we've done a lot of studies like Loma Linda is a very famous university for doing a lot of these health studies, but those are the five zones. And basically there's people there that when eating the traditional lifestyle and diet, they live to be and living the traditional lifestyle. Not all of it has to do with diet. They live to be over the age of a hundred, a lot more, um, a lot more consistently than the general population. I think two times or more consistently. Wow. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. So yeah. there's those five blue zones. So is there anything in particular? Because I know this kind of ties into your research as well. Mm -hmm. It did actually, did the blue zones ever come up in your research? Was that something sure. that was talked about? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And what I would say is that there's, there's a lot of, there's different qualities of evidence when we're talking about research, you know, um, there's and different things that you can take from different types of research. So the blue zones, when we look at the blue zones, it's all observational data. So we're looking at what people ate, you know, we're not assigning people at birth to different groups. Longevity research is really hard to do in terms of like randomized controlled trials and the true gold standard, because it's you can't assign people at birth to eat a certain way for their whole life. Yep. So observational data is sometimes the best that we have. And yes, we do look at observational data. We'd look at giant population studies in China and Japan and all of these different areas to see what most people did and how that impacted outcomes. Now, this can be, this could indicate cause and effect, but not necessarily. But the more data we have to support the same picture, the more confident we can be that there's something there in terms of a link. Yeah. Um, in my own research, we did randomized control trials where we assigned people different treatments and we, you know, measured those differences. A lot of labs in the US do that, but these are very valuable because we get the long-term picture. So yeah, we did talk about the blue zones and we use that to inform our research in, okay. in my laboratory. Yeah. So what kind of ties the blue zones together or what are maybe some key things that we can take away from the blue zones and apply to our own life? Yeah. So some of them are nutritional and then some of them are just like lifestyle related in general. So I'd be happy to get into both of those. Um, from a nutritional perspective, it's a predominantly plant-based diet, 90% or more. And none of the blue zones are vegan or vegetarian per se. And I think that that's important to mention is that you can be, and some people in Loma Linda, California in particular are, but I think it's a little bit more accessible to, for people to understand too, that you, it's not actually has to be a hundred percent according to that particular set of research. But the idea is that the closer you can get to a plant-based diet, likely the better it is, right? And so we have 90% or more plant-based. We have people who eat a ton of vegetables and vegetables that are locally grown. Not that that probably, I, I don't know if how much that matters, but that is what these individuals had access to for their whole lives. Their own gardens are things that were available in their own communities. So tons of vegetables, beans were a huge staple throughout all of these cultures. So everybody ate some sort of beans, whether that was tofu and edamame in like Japan, or whether that was you know, pinto beans and black beans in Nicoya, Costa Rica. There's like all of these areas and everybody relies on beans. And then nuts were another one. So healthy fats from nuts. So in terms of nutrition, that's like the main thing. They also drink a lot of tea. 
um, most of these areas had some sort of tea that they would drink. Um, so that's like from the nutritional standpoint, the, the commonalities here. And it's interesting because oftentimes these blue zones would have less meat in their lifestyle from economic necessity mm-hmm. because meat is really expensive, right? And so yeah. it was more, sometimes it was more due to economic necessity, but it produced this outcome of basically, we believe, allowing them to have like these long and healthy lives, which is really cool. Um, yeah. So that's the nutritional bit. And then in terms of just the other things that they would do, low level activity all the time. And like I mentioned before, it's not like necessarily like formal exercise, I would say. It's not like they're going out for jogs, except for in Loma Linda, they do some great little formal exercises and things like that um, because it's in America. Yep. But what I would say, what I would say is that for most of these, it's more just walking and it's moving and it's, you know, sh- shepherding sheep in Sardinia, Italy, and it's gardening and bending over a lot in Okinawa, Japan. And, you know, it's just sort of like keeping those muscles moving. So low level of physical activity is a big one. And then also social connection and purpose is huge. Mm. And I think that this is, I think that this is understated when it comes to longevity, but in Costa Rica, they call it your plan de vida. It's like your purpose for life. And, you know, in mm. Okinawa, Japan, they have these amazing um, groups called moais, where they're these close little groups of friends that get together every afternoon. And these sorts of connections and also like a connection to something greater than yourself in terms of a purpose, yeah. whether, and that's can be anything. This doesn't have to be spiritual. If you don't want it to be, this can be like volunteer work or connecting to your family or, you know, serving a role within that capacity. All of that can help too. And that's another commonality that we see in the blue zones is like, they have that really intense, you know, connection to their purpose, I would say. Yeah. And I think that's something that's really hard to, find here you have to maybe really work especially when you're in the states to find that community find that connection especially in the world we live in today where so many things are online Mm -hmm. and so i think like you said it's a sort of an understated role that's part of these communities part of these hot spots that we i I would just love to see more of here i know Um, and i think you're totally right i think that it's not built into our culture to have that easily accessible yeah so i think the more that we can be mindful of that throughout our lives and make an effort to kind of create that for ourselves in whatever capacity we can. Yeah. Um, it's good, you know, to have that friend of mine for ourselves as something that could really help our overall health, yeah. you know, and it's not just about, it's not just about mental health, although it is, it could be about physical health too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I definitely want to touch on fiber, Hannah. Oh yes. <laughs> because we know that fiber is associated because a predominantly plant-based mm-hmm. diet is obviously rich in fiber. That obviously yeah. plays a role in in health and longevity. So I'm curious if we can just kind of touch on what fiber is and where we get it, which we kind of just hinted at, but mm-hmm. um, kind of what fiber is in a plant-based diet. For sure. And I feel like you and I have connected online a lot about like our love of fiber and our belief yes. that fiber is <laughs> underrated as opposed so to underrated. like protein being pushed a ton and like yes. all this stuff. Yeah. So fiber is, is so important. And what fiber is, is it's essentially, it is a carbohydrate but it's a carbohydrate that we don't digest for energy. We don't have the enzyme in our bodies to break down fiber for energy. So what happens is when we eat fiber, it passes through us and it goes right to our healthy gut bugs in the colon. And so that's called our microbiome and a collection of a diverse, you know, microbes in our microbiome is a really good hallmark of health. So fiber passes to them and they tend to eat those and, you know, thrive on those sorts of things. And in terms of where it's found, it's only, only found in plant foods. 
So this is one of the reasons why we think it is so key to eat mostly plants is because fiber is so critical to every aspect of health and it's only found in plant foods. So the way that I like to frame it to like my clients and my following is that fiber is pretty much like the bones of the plant. So as animals, we have connective tissue and bones and everything that we need to hold us up. Plants don't have that. They have fiber instead. So animals don't need fiber. We've got bones and connective tissue. Plants, to give them structure, they need that fiber. So if you remember nothing else, fiber is the bones of the plant. And that's basically the reason why you can only find it in plants. You're going to find zero grams of fiber in animal products. So it's important. And then it's found in most plant foods. And I would say it's found mostly in whole plant foods. So if you have super ultra refined plant foods, oftentimes those won't have as much fiber or any fiber, depending on the type of food. But if you have whole plant foods, which are fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, nuts, and seeds, those five categories primarily, then you're going to get some fiber from those. And in in particular, I think that we don't know about this enough, but really it's it's whole grains, beans, and fruits that have the most fiber. And vegetables have some fiber and they're important for a lot of reasons, but not nearly as much fiber as the starchier types of plant foods. And so it's really important to, you know, when I see people on a keto diet or like a low carb diet (laughs) who are saying that they get a ton of fiber on their diet, they probably don't get as much fiber because they're eating only non-starchy vegetables, which do have fiber in particular, scratchy fiber called insoluble fiber, but they're missing out on the kind of squishy fiber, the soluble fiber that's found on the interior of beans and grains and fruits. And that's the gut bugs favorite food. That's what they truly thrive on. And so I would say that most low carb diets are fiber deficient, even though they may be eating a lot of non-starchy vegetables, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely does. And I think that just reiterates the importance of fiber and how we do, we emphasize protein so much when we think of protein, we think of meat Mm -hmm. or animal products. And so then Mm -hmm. our emphasis is on that or our focus is there. And it kind of puts this like shadow over fiber, which is very, very important. Like you said, at the very least for those little, little, little guys in our colon that want to, you know, feed off of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that like, the importance of fiber in terms of longevity in particular is its interaction with chronic disease. Because what Mm. we know is that our gut health and our gut microbiome, it's this wild world that influences absolutely everything. And more and more is coming out about it every single year. And back when I was in research, we had a laboratory next door to mine that was focused in microbiome research. And we did like some collaborations and stuff like that. And just the stuff that there is there is no chronic disease that is not tied to dysbiosis, which means poor gut health. So all chronic diseases that we have identified are tied in some way to poor gut health. So it's really, really important to try to keep the gut as healthy as possible from a longevity perspective because it can help to improve or rather decrease the risk of chronic disease. It can help to decrease the risk in particular of certain cancers. I mean, when we talk about colon cancers, colorectal cancers, diverticulitis, sort of polyps that can become cancerous within the colon, when we have fiber sweeping through like a broom, it becomes really a lot better um, and easier to manage those sorts of conditions. So all of that is super, super important. And so from a longevity perspective, fiber is critical. And it also helps us to tap into one more thing about fiber that I love is it helps us to tap into our natural satiety mechanisms, which means 
it helps us to feel full, like we're used to feeling full as humans, yes. <laughs> you know? And so it really helps us to tap into that. And it helps us to have more reliable hunger and fullness cues, which is a super awesome way to be able to make sure that you're eating enough and sort of making sure that you're, you're regulating your appetite properly. So yeah. all of these things contribute to longevity and fiber is super important for all of them. Yes, absolutely. So the big question is, are we getting enough fiber in our diets? And I say we no. as an Americans. <laughs> no, typically not. And I, I think that I read there's like, we're getting probably 30 to 40% of the fiber that we need on average. So it's less than half. So yeah. not, not happening too much. I think that the numbers that we shoot for are 25 grams to 38 grams, depending on your body size. I would bump that up to 30 grams as a minimum. If it were me, I think that that's probably a better, safer spot for most people to try to shoot for. And we're getting like 15, 10, 15 grams of fiber Mm, on on average on a daily basis. And a lot of this is because we're not eating a lot of those whole plant food carbs. If we were to be eating more of those whole plant food carbs and beans in particular, I think it would be so much more beneficial. And I'm actually doing, I like just recorded a reel where I'm like, what's the number one food for longevity? Beans. You know, like I was just sort of thinking about this. It truly is. I think beans are like the best food ever and they contain so much fiber. They contain those great proteins and things like that. But I think it's a, I think it's a deficit of these whole starchy carbs as well as of course, a a deficit of vegetables in the standard American diet. That's contributing to that lack for sure. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And I couldn't agree more with beans. And sometimes when I see people say that, you know, beans are toxic or they're harmful to your body or these things in there that are harmful, it's just like, I want to, and I mean, this is like probably not the best way to put it, but like beat my head against the wall. Cause I'm like, when you look at these people who are some of the healthiest people living the longest lives in the world, they are eating beans. And so it just, it just, and, and then again, it creates a lot of fear. In yes. people, you know, like, oh, should I not be eating beans because, you know, so-and-so said they were quote bad. And there's just so much misinformation, which drives me insane. <laughs> there is. And I, I think that that's what's, what finally got me in terms of like my logical brain when I was like, you know, wrestling with this like cognitive dissonance of like, is a car, is a low carb better? Is like high carb better? Yes. Like is plant-based okay? And I was like, I don't remember who said this. I read this quote online, but basically it's like, if beans are trying to kill us, they're doing a terrible job. (laughs) They're doing a terrible job. It's like, they are the number one food that's associated with longevity. It's like, how are they trying to kill us? How, how can we reconcile that? And so I always think back to that when I'm like, okay, if you're telling me that beans are toxic and that they're going to shorten my lifespan, why are the longest lived populations all across the world eating beans and surviving so long and living such healthy lives? Riddle me that. And then I will talk to you. So that's how I, I, that's definitely how I feel as well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And if you're listening, you're like, well, I do have issues with beans. We'll link Dr. B's episode below in the show notes. That way you can listen. Cause he really goes through. If you struggle tolerating beans, there is a way to kind of slowly increase the amount that you're eating so that you can tolerate them. Because I do believe that uh, I'm putting quotes around should that everyone should be eating them. Oh yeah. And I agree. And I, I, this is common. If you do struggle with beans, like you are not alone. I would yep. say that probably like 50% of my clients or more struggle with introducing beans. And I have very similar protocols to Dr. B and to a lot of the yeah. practitioners out of here, out here. And it's really important to understand that it's not an intolerant. It's more of a, of a mismatch between your gut flora that you have now and the gut flora that you could have once we incorporate more beans. Yes. And so it's really important to grow that garden by not eliminating beans, but instead introducing them more slowly. So definitely 
go see Dr. B's episode because I'm sure he has some really good insight on that. Yeah. But that's a great way to put it because you're kind of like slowly mm-hmm. growing exactly those right. that that bacteria in your gut that can help digest those beans. So, and that takes time. Yes. It's not it something does. that happens overnight. No. And it's, and it's an uncomfortable experience. Another analogy that I like to use is like, is lifting heavy bad for you because you can't pick up the 50 pound dumbbells right when you go to the gym? Probably not. Probably you just need to build up to it, you know? And so yep. that's what we <laughs> want to do. We want to build up to it. We want to start with those tens and then eventually lifting heavy is good for you and you're going to be healthier for it. (laughs) Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so Hannah, what are maybe some takeaways, just like some, just a couple Mm -hmm. things that you would recommend Mm -hmm. for maybe them to start incorporating in their own life to promote longevity. And this doesn't have to just be food, but anything, any like kind of key points that you would recommend? Yeah, I would basically, I, I would say like, just like we were talking about, eat more whole plant foods, just add them in if nothing else, you know? And I like to say, I like to start with adding things in instead of worrying about like making your diet perfect or worrying about taking everything away. It's like, if you can add in vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans, and nuts and seeds, wherever you can, you're going to be getting more fiber. And that fiber with, again, making you feel full in the way that your body is used to is going to start to crowd out any foods that might be less helpful. And so eventually it's going to, you know, be more of a predominant part of your diet. And I would say, you know, fiber rich foods with antioxidants. So shoot for tons of colors and tons of variety. If you can variety helps gut health colors, help with antioxidants and inflammation and all of that stuff. So colorful fiber, rich whole plant foods, just add them in. And then the other thing is just take care of your heart, because I think that that is a really big key for a lot of the disability that we do see later in life, whether that's issues with movement or issues with brain health or anything else, it's all connected to the blood vessels. So do what you can to take care of your heart. And you can do that by eating a predominantly plant-based diet. You can do that by exercising regularly. You can do that by getting regular checkups. You can do that by, you know, lowering saturated fat to reasonable levels, things like that. And so I would encourage people to do that as well. Beautiful. Yep. Great things that we can start doing today. If you're not doing them already, which I know a lot of you are. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. All right, Hannah, where can people connect with you? What's the best place for them to find you? Yes, absolutely. So I am plant forward nutritionist on Instagram and that's plant.forward.nutritionist. Um, you can all, and I'm there all the time. I love being on stories and please connect with me and reach out. If this impacted you, I'd love to hear from you. Um, you can also visit my website, www.theplantforwardnutritionist.com. And so that's where I am online on the web and come say hi. And you can check out all, I've got some really great sort of resources for people who just want to get started adding in more plants in a plant forward lifestyle. And I would love to connect with you there on my profile. Hannah, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this. I mean, this was truly fascinating. So I just really appreciate you. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. This is such a fun conversation. So thanks again. Yes, you're so welcome. And thank you so much for listening today. We will catch you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Plant-Centered and Thriving Podcast today. If you found this episode inspiring, please share it with a friend or post it on social media and tag me so I can personally say thank you. Until next time, keep thriving.